I loved it. I just loved being out there all day and just the feeling of like pushing yourself to that extreme. And I remember the feeling I had after that first ultra marathon is like, if I can do that, I can do anything. You know, like I don't think I've ever had that feeling as much as I did that at that point. And then from there, I was kind of hooked. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 30 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Super stoked to share Heather Runs Trail's inspiring story. Heather's an intrepid explorer who is deeply passionate about travel and trail running. She grew up in the beautiful mountains of Alberta, Canada, and has lived in eight different countries between North America, Europe, and the Middle East, and has filled many passports visiting 55 countries. Her IG feed beautifully captures her passion for running, adventure, and photography, and truly brings you along on her experiences learning about the architecture, culture, and people she's met along the way. Heather was recently part of a four-woman team, the Desert Roses, that set out to run the entire perimeter of Qatar. That's right, 500K on trail in five days. Like any lengthy stage race, they encountered numerous obstacles and had to work as a team to problem solve on the fly. Their collective goal was to inspire young girls and women in Qatar to participate in sports, get active, and introduce them to ultra running. This is the very definition of community and in making an impact. So bravo, Heather, and the Desert Roses team. I've linked up a local interview that was done uh, with the media, a newspaper article that was published, along with Heather's blog for you to get further information on the Desert Roses run. Our discussion topics were her work experience, how she found herself in Qatar, sports in her youth, how did she find running, falling in love with trail and mountain running, connecting with nature, the vibe of ultra, a very unique travel experience in Sri Lanka, strategies for all of us trying to stay positive in COVID times, and all about the Desert Roses 2021 run. I hope you all enjoy this discussion as much as Heather and I did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Heather. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC, although actually it is morning for you in Doha. So how are you doing? Yeah, it is morning. It's a little early, so apologies in advance. <laughs> yeah. So we're still half asleep. Yeah, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I'm trying to yes. decide if it's bedtime for me as uh, 11.38, <laughs> which it's not. As my listeners know, I'm a, I'm a late, late night vampire and you are getting up super early for us. So thank you so much for, uh, for getting up early and shuffling your schedule to come on and talk to us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell our listeners, because you are the furthest guest to ever be on the show, tell them how Ooh. you ended up in Doha and you know what that was all about, how you ended up there and how you're still there, what you're doing over there. Okay, I'll try to make this not a long story. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I grew up in Canada um, near Calgary, Alberta, until I was about 21. And then I started moving around actually from my ex's job. So we lived in South Carolina, we lived in Northern Italy, we lived in the UK. So I started living abroad 
probably about 15 years ago. And so when that situation ended, um, I kind of was like, well, what do I do with myself now? And I got a job offer in Kuwait. And at the time, I knew nothing about Kuwait except for the Gulf War from when I was about 10 years old watching it on the news. And I thought about it, talked about it with my parents. And they're like, you know what? You'll regret it if you don't try it. So why don't you just go? If you don't like it, we'll fly you home. I'm like, oh, okay. So by myself, single white woman moves to the Middle East, not knowing what I was getting myself into. So um, I was there for a couple of years. And then while I was living in Kuwait, I got a job offer here in Doha, Qatar. And I came to visit for a weekend just to see what it was like. And then I realized, oh, this is a much you know, better place to live to fit my lifestyle. So that was about almost five years ago now. I've been here ever since. Wow. What a, what an interesting journey. So from the mountains in Canada over to the <laughs> Middle East and, you know, that's, that's exciting. I mean, I, personally, I have a huge love for travel. And I think um, one of the things that's impacted us all so much with COVID besides, you know, most of us are just so completely cut off from our families. And in most cases, when people say their families are, you know, they're, they're cut off, but they're not cut off at the distance that you are. You are literally around the globe um, from your family. Yeah, and it's actually, yeah, it's been really tough in that sense that um, usually I would spend at least a month back home in Canada every summer at minimum. And my parents would come out wherever I was at least for a few weeks at a time. But it's probably been almost two years now since I've seen my parents. Um, I haven't been able to get back to Canada. I've got my partner actually lives in South Africa now. So I got stuck there for about six months during lockdown, which is not the worst place to get stuck. But that also meant that I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't see my family. I had to come straight back to Doha to get back to work as soon as the borders open. So it's been a really strange COVID year for me. Yeah, it's uh, well, you are really far and distant from um, family and your partner in South Africa. And I think um, it just puts so much extra stress on all of us and how we're managing that um, is different for everybody. But it's certainly in your career, uh, you could talk a little bit about what you do because it certainly lends itself for uh, for every one of my listeners. Um, I tell them all the time, running's our therapy, lace them up, get out the door, keep lacing them, get out the door. Um, and when you're injured, you know, you still have to find some way to move, you know, to keep yourself together right now. So tell, tell us about a little bit about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so actually I'm a psychologist. So, um, I started my career in community mental health, doing therapy, and I just happened to get into when I moved to Kuwait, working with children in the school setting. So now I'm working a lot with kids doing different types of assessments and therapy, working with the community, working with parents, you know, to help support children around, you know, learning disabilities, mental health concerns, um, autism, things like that. But more so this year, my job even shifted more because within our organization, the well-being of everybody was affected. So this year has been a lot about supporting staff and colleagues. I work for a really large organization, so it was really, this is a place where everybody is also trapped away from their families. Nobody could travel, right? So I think in Qatar, 85% of the population are expats. So it, people from all over the world live here and everybody's, you know, 
can't travel, is away from their family, has extra stressors, you know, with COVID and all the work demands and then going online and not knowing really how to manage, you know, that new learning or working environment. So, yeah, it's been a lot of supporting everybody's mental health this year. It's been a big struggle. So, yeah, that's another big initiatives that we've done over here to support um, our staff with um, chronic stress management and burnout prevention and compassion fatigue and all of those things that have um, increased so much since the pandemic started. Well, that's wonderful work, you know, that you're doing, uh, particularly in, on the learning disability side. So, so kudos to you on that. Um, always, it makes me uh, happy when I talk with people. Um, I had a guest on who, that's she worked with kids with dyslexia and, and reading disorders and and so many other things um, that she focused on, and then started a running. Uh, community for these kids who are so focused on, you know, the two things together, you know, being so goal oriented to be able to kind of unlock the mysteries and the challenges and the difficulties for them to process, you know, characters and the alphabet and different things that they struggle with. And so we talked about like some sort of running group that she could, you know, fund and form for them. And it's amazing because there's really almost no reward. There's almost no reward other than you know, like they're giving them like things, you know, cutting things out of uh, construction paper and like, they're not real like metals and larger things. There's some metals and whatnot, but for the most part, it's almost just like attendance to come before school and these kids never miss it. They're there. They want to be there and they want to run around this little schoolyard area and they want to earn their badges, if you will, the way Strava is, if you're on Strava, I don't know so many of the runners I know are for running and cycling to record their activities, but um, you know, goals-based things where you're encouraging somebody to do something, people always think the reward has to be a large thing. And that's where people get it wrong. Cause most times it doesn't need to be anything at all. It can, that's why Peloton is so successful. Not only because the instructors are fit and they're cool and they communicate with you and they create some energy, but because everything you do, you're getting another badge. You've earned another uh, X number of rides or runs and miles, and you get more friends in this community and you thrive and you make more connections. So all of that is is really super. But as far as like for us, for runners, for everybody else out there in terms of like advice, what's some good advice you could share with all of us? Because I know me personally, um, just having an injury myself right now, I know that until the MRI results were back and I didn't need them because I already knew like that I was really injured. You just know your body after all these years of running. Um, I, I can't begin to tell you the difference in me on those days when I couldn't do anything and I had to wait until I knew I could, and I can't run for at least a month or two, let's say, but I was able to do a Peloton riding class today at the gym and I can ride a stationary bike. I can swim. My outlook, my personality, it's almost like a black veil was lifted over me because the amount of time between when I can run again, that has nothing to do with it. I just couldn't do anything or, or I was afraid if I did, I might risk making it worse. So for me, I just know being able to move, the movement piece for me was everything. And it just was like, like all the stress just melted away. And I always felt like it, it's only running that can give me that, but oh man, was I wrong? You know, I, I know that feeling. Cause that happened to me. Ooh, it's been about a year and a half now. Um, I was so excited. I went to Bulgaria by myself to do my first sky race. I'm super excited about this is the first, you know, official sky race that I'm going to do. And the day before the event, you know, I was up in the mountains there because 
I want to be up in the mountains as much as I can, checking out the route, you know, having lunch, sitting by this crystal clear lake at, you know, 2000 meters above sea level. And on the way back down, I, out of nowhere on a really untechnical spot, I fell and busted my ankle, not knowing at the time there was fractures and ligament tears. And eventually I, three MRIs later, I found out that I should have been booted from day one and I couldn't run for about six months. And initially that was like, I don't know what to do. Like running is everything to me. Like, well, how am I going to survive? How am I going to, you know? So yeah, <laughs> um, that's when I realized, you know, I started getting more into mountain biking and even just going to the gym to move. And I started running with a weighted or a flotation belt in the pool, outdoor pool. So I could at least get, you know, the sunlight and stuff and lots of walking outside. So for me, it was really being outside was what saved me. I think um, movement, of course, in any way, but being outside, I think I, that's what I realized. Like that's what I need in my life to feel better. That's, that's great advice. So as, as runners, um, particularly you're, you're focused on ultra trail, mountain running, things of that nature. So the distances obviously are a lot further, but I, my friends always get confused that aren't in the ultra world or haven't gotten in, into it yet. Like I have, and I just tell everybody, they just haven't gotten there yet. They'll get there <laughs> and they're just delaying their joy. I mean, it's more sublime yeah. experience. It's, it's running the way it's meant to be where, you know, you're not ever, I mean, for me, when I go on those long runs on a trail somewhere, I literally am never paying any attention to how far I've gone, how many miles I've run, or how fast I'm going. I'm just making sure, to your point, like watch where I'm going because man, <laughs> you you don't you take your eye off for one second and you hit a tree root or you know you just land funny and that's a thing. But even that. To me, that's just exciting and it just makes the whole experience just, there's just so much more. There's more depth and, and layers to it. And look, you're in nature and look, that's how you ended up on the show. You know, I talked about it before we popped on, you know, so for everybody on the Instagram side, it's Heather runs trails or I'm sorry, Heather runs underscore trails. Um, I personally am a huge fan of anybody's feed who takes a lot of shots while they're out there. I don't care if they're a triathlete or an Ironman and their bike photos. I don't care if they're trail runners, mountain runners. I don't care. You could be cross country skiing. If you're out there in nature and the elements and you're shooting, you know, beautiful photography, I don't care if it's on an iPhone, a GoPro, whatever it is, I'm into your feed right off the bat. So I'm there. <laughs> um, but you take some spectacular shots. I mean, you're just got you. very, very high, high quality shots. And you know, look, it's, you know, it, I've noticed it for a while, um, on your feed and, and for me, like that whole like trail experience, that's what it gives you. Because when we get into, we talk about routines before, even like my friend Darcy, who was on the pod, who works with, um, the kids with dyslexia and reading, uh, reading challenges. Um, they just wanted to show up. They wanted to earn their badge. They wanted to come before school and be part of that group and do whatever, you know, they needed to do. Um, and running like anything else can become monotonous or boring. If I know people who literally run on a track, like a track workout's fine, but to run on a track when you're not doing a track workout, <laughs> like, I mean, it's one thing when they do a 
ultra runners, as we know, do 24 hour things on the track and all these other world record things that people are trying to do. That's different. If somebody were to tell me that I could almost deal with that, but the idea of going to run like 10 or 12 or 14 miles on the track, like for no other reason, other, if I'm not doing a track workout, (laughs) like it's not happening. Like I'm going to find somewhere else to run, um, and definitely going to figure it out. But, um, with running regular roads, if you will, it can get boring. If our roots are even as beautiful as central park is where I run a lot of my, uh, miles as spectacular and beautiful it is you can get on the dirt you can get in trails in the park and the inside it's easy to find and then i live on the waterfront i'm directly across from manhattan now i'm not in the city anymore after many years there so i have the best view of the city than you could have much better than when you actually live there so i can run the 60 mile run that I did for Tommy Rivers, I ran all the way out to Liberty State Park, which is as close as you can get to the Statue of Liberty on the New Jersey side. You can feel like you can touch Lady Liberty. Um, and the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour out there, which is so funny because I went on Facebook Live and I was getting blown around. <laughs> I'm trying to talk to people. Um, and then I ran like all the way up to the George Washington Bridge and then back to my ferry. And then I went across to New York and did the last 20 or 21 miles in the city. But um, you can get bored with regular routes. On trail routes, that never happens. When do you when do you go on these trail runs? Do you ever sit there and go, oh, I'm bored. I, I don't like this route anymore. I mean, come on. No. Yeah. I mean, even so I, I live on a giant pile of sand right now, right? Um, coming from like the Canadian Rockies, people are always like, Why would you live there? Or isn't it boring? And I'm like, you know what? Like, I go out in the desert, I take my Jeep, I just drive out wherever. Here the desert's super accessible. Um and I just go out and I find all these random things that people here have like never seen before. There's people who have lived here for 20 years and they're like, we didn't even know that existed. You know, like old like petroglyphs and rock carvings and just things like that. So I think it's super cool. So you have an adventurous spirit, which is you, you're intrepid yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah. you love travel. So we're, we're learning, we're learning more about you. Um, I remember <laughs> in your blog, which I, if I recall, you started it right, right around when COVID started, or maybe when you first got yes, over to that Doha. Was a, that was the trigger. That was, I was stuck in South Africa. I was on a two month, um, leave from work, um, regular vacation time, nothing to do with COVID, but I'm like, what, what do I do with myself now? Everyone always said, you know, you should do a blog. And I'm like, oh, but everyone does blogs. No one's going to want to read my blog. And then when you kind of, I had a lot of spare time. So I'm like, okay, this is the time to start it. That's great. Now, do people, do you have like a way where they can communicate with you directly or do they just like email questions back to you and things like that? Or do you just basically write and, you know, then people reach out to you through your Instagram page in terms of like trying to keep some sort of dialogue going with them? I think it's a little bit of all of the above, but to be honest, I get more feedback on my Instagram page than anything else. And to be fair, I've been slacking a little bit on the blog lately now that work has resumed full time and I actually started my doctorate in December and I didn't, you know, realize that I've kind of signed myself up for, oh, and then that was also when the, you know, the training was getting to its peak for this, you know, around Qatar event. So the blog has taken a back seat in recent months, which I know that you know, I, I don't want to let it slide. So, yeah. Hey, I, I'm going to give you a pass. You know, when you say you're, <laughs> you're getting ready for your doctorate and I know you we literally were, when we were messaging about trying to coordinate this, you're like, yeah, I have, I have this to do. And I'm like, okay, I think that's yeah, more important that than a podcast. Still not done. Uh-oh. That paper's still oh, not done. Now I feel, <laughs> I now like, I feel even more guilty. <laughs> no, I, I'm happy you're on here with us, but now I'm starting <laughs> to feel more guilty. Nah, but, I'm joking. Yeah. But you know, that burden though, and this is your career, this is your business, this stuff builds 
builds up. It builds up the same way you know, we're talking about movement. I mean, for everybody here listening on this show, almost we just know runners get injured. It's just a fact of life, whether it's a fall on a trail or it's overtraining. It's just life. I mean, you could be high school age. You could be my age. It doesn't matter. Or if you're a cyclist, a swimmer, our bodies, as strong as they are and as fit as we are, you know, whether it's overuse, wear and tear, the accidental things that occur to us, when it happens, the key to it all is to figure out, like, don't rush it. You got to accept whatever that information is. You just have to accept it right off the bat. In your case, it was you were still running and you had ligament damage and fractures and you didn't know. And man, that is even more difficult because remember, and I don't know if I was saying this before we came on or not, because sometimes I mix that up a little, but I actually did not. Everyone thinks of me as this crazy type A because I do so many miles. I wouldn't go on the Peloton and I wouldn't Go Even the pool I knew would be okay. I didn't need my doctor to tell me I could swim. I knew that would be okay, but I honestly don't like swimming. That's my least favorite. But I, I literally delayed until I saw him in person. I got fitted for the brace for my knee because I have the fracture. And he's like, look, you can ride the, the stationary bike or even your road bike when the weather warms without the brace. I don't, won't need you to have the brace on when you're riding because it's not the impact. He goes, but I wanted to get that okay. So I didn't rush it. But with me. Well, I got the okay though. That was the hardest part is that the first few MRIs missed or were misdiagnosed. So I was in physio and the type of um, sprain they thought I had usually responds best to, uh, to like getting back in there as soon as possible and getting the mobility and stability back. So my physio was pushing me hard, not knowing that there's fractures in there. So <sighs> I actually set myself back knowing that if I would have just been completely immobilized for the first, you know, six weeks, that could have been it. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's just such, I, I would say a tough break, but it's going to sound silly. <laughs> it, is, it is a tough break. And, and I'm, I'm expecting all of those jokes with me right now with a fractured knee. So I'm just like, whatever, bring them on, bring on the puns, bring it all on. But for everybody out there, there's always the light at the end of the tunnel and movement. When I move, I, I, my, I close every pod with keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Always remember to stay in the fight. Those are like my you know, sayings in and out of pods. And um, so I can't lace them up right now. And I can't keep going out the door in that way. But I can absolutely go out the door to go ride a Peloton bike in my gym. I can go swim. Um, I'm going to limit walking because honestly, even though it isn't that much impact compared to running, I'm not going to walk a lot. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm not really a big fan of walking a lot anyway. So <laughs> other than with my dog, you know, no problem yeah. giving her a nice extended walk. But um, for everybody out there, you just got to figure it out. If it's if it's uh, a mountain bike for a while, if it's going on the trail, if it's in the pool, whatever it is, just make sure you keep moving because each day that you go further out without being active, it will become harder to get reengaged. So that could be a week. If it week becomes two weeks and two weeks becomes three weeks, and I don't care what you weigh, it has nothing to do with that. I'm talking about your mental state of mind, your your happiness as a human being to going into a dark place pretty quickly because we- Yeah, because it can get into that downward spiral, spiral, right? Like the worse you feel because you haven't got out, the harder it is to now get out. So it just keeps spiraling downwards. And It can. And even just speaking on my own, for on my own, it just a couple of days even, it wasn't even, well, it's been a month since it actually happened or um, just around a month, but it, um, it wasn't a whole month between when I could do anything, but it was close. But I got to tell you, even just the days when I waited from- 
seeing him to to just doing it <laughs> that even those few days felt like an eternity and now i feel like i'm recharged um Aww. you know because i just i did an hour class it wasn't like i did some epic thing i mean i did an hour class i moved i sweated i got my heart rate up and i and i had a mask on which of course none of us want to wear but it's too bad this is life i mean just yeah. exercising with the in the desert though you could just go for a run and you don't have to worry about social distance running in the desert right that is the nice thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. So before we get into this insanely epic, cool event that you all put together in Doha, which I just can't wait to, for you to share that with everybody because it's awesome. Talk a little bit about how you got involved with running, you know, as a kid, um, you know, how that all got started and just like sports in general as a kid, like what were you into? What athletics did you do? So I was always athletic. I was never the artsy person. I was not the creative person. I was always, I love sports. And I think I started with organized sports probably in around fifth, sixth grade. I got into basketball. Um, lo I loved basketball. I was obsessed with basketball all through like middle school. I would that my whole weekends would be watching like NBA on NBC. I remember that with Ahmad Rashad. And I, I was just at, like my parents would have said, like, you're obsessed. Like, this is not healthy. But um, when people find that funny now, because that's the furthest I don't watch sports on TV hardly at all, except for the odd hockey game because I'm Canadian. But um, what position did you play in hoops? I was the right forward usually. I was too tall to be the point guard, and I wasn't tall enough to be down under the net. So yeah. okay, were you a shooter? <laughs> um, did you like to shoot? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. My 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 long game was good. So you were going out to three point range. I like it. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I also got into volleyball and badminton at the time. Those are sort of my three sports growing up. And I actually went to like the provincial level in badminton um, in Alberta. And I always ran a little bit, but it was more for the training for the other sports, you know, shorter distances, no more than 5K, didn't really like it. It was also kind of forced on you, right? Coach says you have to go run and it's like, oh, like Punishment. that was the last thing. I yeah, it was really. And running lines and drills and stuff like that. Um, but my dad's always been a runner. And I remember growing up, like dad's always going to a race. Dad's out for a run. Dad's, oh, dad's got these really short shorts. What are those? Those are embarrassing or things like that. <laughs> I love it. Mom, mom's buying dad the longer shorts every time it's his birthday or father's day just to get him out of the short shorts. But yeah. those, those are running shorts. Um, and even, I, re I even remember my mom and I saying like, dad's crazy. He's doing this ultra marathon this weekend. Like, this is ridiculous. And we, I don't even think we went out and supported or watched him or she might go out like once or twice during the day. And like, that was it. It wasn't like, oh, this is a cool thing. Let's go support dad. I just didn't get it. Like I didn't understand it. And then when I got out of high school into university, that's when organized sports ended for me. Um, it was just about studying. I wasn't good enough to get any scholarships or anything like that to play sports in university. So I was kind of like, well, what do I do with myself now? I did get into, for the first time in my life, into, you know, weight training and stuff like that, which was so new to me. And it's funny now because like, that's just part of my regular routine. Um, but that was also when my dad's like, oh, I'm going down to Montana for this race this weekend. Do you want to come? I'm like, okay, there's a 5k. I'll sign up for the 5k, you know, just basically just the way to spend the weekend with dad, you know, on a little road trip. Cause 
Montana is like about 30 miles from where our my hometown is. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to California for this half marathon in the summer. Do you want to come? I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll try the 10K first. <laughs> You know, and then I remember the first 10K I did, I'm like, it, my goal was just run five, walk five. And I'm like, oh, that was fun. And it was in the Redwood Forest. And I'm like, oh, this is really pretty. You know, and I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this. And then the next year, he's like, do you want to go to that race again? I'm like, yeah, but I think I want to try the half marathon. And then it kind of just kept going from there. Like, okay, well, now I want to try the marathon. And learn like watching my dad and like he'd go running every day but he never followed a plan he never had you know a coach he never he would just go run in the trails near our house and he might increase his mileage a little bit before an event but not really like at the time we didn't even have garments like it was it was just like you just go and you roughly estimate how far you've ran right um and so one year finally after a couple of years of doing these like slowly building up my distance Dad's like, do you want to try this ultra marathon in our hometown with me? It's one that he did every year. He'd been doing for years. And I'm like, okay, even if I have to walk it, I could still probably finish it, you know, 10 hours. It was a 50K. So that was the first ultra marathon I did. And, you know, I got a lot of ups and downs in it, quite a bit of elevation. And I finished it in under six or seven hours. I can't even remember the first one because of course, don't have a garment, haven't recorded it, don't even know what the exact mileage was. And I loved it. I just loved being out there all day and just the feeling of like pushing yourself to that extreme. And I remember the feeling I had after that first ultra marathon is like, if I can do that, I can do anything. You know, like I don't think I've ever had that feeling as much as I did that at that point. And then from there, I was kind of hooked. So it just got more and more extreme after that. I guess. That's a that's such a great lesson, though. Um, God, you got to underscore that for everybody. That that's why I try to convince people to come on over. And when I say even just ultra, just even trail running, period, because trail running takes your mind and focus off of what we said. It's not about pace. It's not how far you're going. You just you just have to follow the trail, so you don't get lost for one thing. And uh, with trail races, it's nothing at all like running a marathon or a road race where there's always someone in front of you and you always know where you're going. It, there's never Sometimes any- Sometimes you're alone. Yeah. You are oh. alone in nature and in the middle of nowhere. I remember one race I did, I drove up to, so British Columbia is the province next to us, Drove up there for this. It was something called something hellish half marathon. I didn't even research it, knew nothing about it, didn't realize it. It went up over 3,000 meters. I'm alone by myself on top of a mountain. There's snow on top of the peaks and there's a steaming pile of bear poop. <laughs> like he'd, he'd literally just wandered by and it was right there and I'm by myself and I'm like, okay. what, what is going on? <laughs> but like, you're this, you're this feeling like, I'm literally in the middle of nature, like untouched nature. That's, um, that's beautiful. I mean, it's just, that's the kind of, uh, story, you know, that we recollect from our experiences that, you know, it might scare the shit out of somebody and go like, I'm never doing a trail race now, but I'm the, I'm just like, if that doesn't make your heart beat, if that doesn't, you know, make you feel alive. And again, you're man, I've run six, 
57, 58 marathons. I mean, I've been running, I'm 60 years old. I've been running for 30 years. So, and I wasn't like you, I was a, a high school and college baseball player. So I played all the other sports and running was punishment or part of what we did, you know, get ready, suicide drills, this, that. Occasionally we do a little bit of a longer run, a mile or something for a gym class, but that running was not at all you know, I loved running, but I loved being the fastest kid on the team, stealing bases in baseball. I didn't think like, oh, I want to be a long distance runner. So it didn't come to me until much later in life. But um, the trail stuff is just, it's just so unique in every aspect. And people think, oh, I can't run Leadville and I can't run at 12,000 feet. Well, there's a million trail races where they're flat. I mean, you can find a flat trail race in certain parts of the country, or you can find ones that are at 10,000 feet like Leadville. I mean, it's really up to you. What are you looking for? I mean, there's a million great websites that will direct you to what are you looking for? And if you want to be in the mountains and you want to feel connected and just have spectacular vistas and be around nature, man, you know, get involved because I, I guarantee you, you said it, um, when you do something like that, you literally feel like there is nothing that you can't do or pretty much I think that's exactly what you said or close, but yes, you literally feel like, okay, if I can do this, what else could I do in the rest of my life? Like what else have I thought I maybe couldn't do that I actually might be able to do if I could run through this, if I could run over yeah. these peaks through bear poop and you know, feel like my heart's on fire. Like if I can do this, what else could I do in my life? But I think too, in the like trail running and ultra running community, like for people that are intimidated to go to a race and, or have done like, you know, a marathon road race or something, the, the atmosphere and the vibe and the sense of community is completely different. Like you go to an ultra marathon and there's probably 50% of the participants that have planned to walk or hike the whole race. And everyone is just there to support you. It's not about how fast you are. It's not about like what gear you have or anything like that. It's really like everyone is just there to enjoy it and support each other. I think I noticed that like the most when I transitioned from the like road to trail run. It's a, it's a great observation. And it's definitely something I passed along too, because I'm still so new in the, in the trail ultra community. Um, there's a community, that word does not fit anywhere better than an ultra and in trail running because people will literally stop. If they see you're cramping, if they see you're stuck, they, people will stop. They will stop and backtrack and be like, are you okay? Do you need something? Do you need a salt tablet? You know, do you need some tile? Like they will literally stop and don't even get me started on the aid stations because I was just going to say know, that actually. Aid, aid stations are like stupid. Like it's, it's entertainment. Like you don't want to leave. Yeah. You don't want to leave because the people are so so awesome, yeah. right? See, we're, we're kindred yeah. souls because that's my problem, man. I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to give me Skittles and you're going to give me like Starburst jelly beans? Like, I'm going to hang out with you. Oh, wait, we're going to make bacon. Do you want some bacon? Uh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Are we coming back here again? Um, no. Okay. All right. I'll hang out and I'll have some bacon. Like I'm <laughs> hanging out with these people because think about that. They volunteer, right? We talked before you, you agreed to come on the show, like how important that is to me personally, people that give back and do things in the community. And that doesn't have to have anything to do with running at all. It's just, you know, it could be with your church or doing things for kids or the elderly, but you know, those people are out there, you know, for some of these races are a whole day. Sometimes they're out there 12, 18, 20 hours and have a smile on 
on their face and they're happy. They greet you and they're like, what's up? What's going on, Heather? How's your day going? And if you just give them a little bit of energy, man, they'll just they'll you're love you. You're looking so fresh. You're looking yeah. good. I'm like, I know I'm not, Lies. but thank you for <laughs> Yeah. That's that's so good. Yeah. So that this is our mission. We're gonna we're gonna talk people into into getting on the trails more, doing more ultras, um, wherever they may be. So before we get into talking about your huge event that you just took on, um, how about a little bit of some of your favorite races or favorite race experiences, um, if you have a couple, because um, that would be fun to hear about. Yeah, I did. I'm trying to think. There's So my favorite ultra of all time, just because this was my first one, and it I've done it many times since. And that's also the, the event that I also, so my first one was 50 K. I also did the hundred K in it, which was the first time I'd done a hundred K race. So that was the lost soul ultra in Lethbridge, Alberta. And it started as a you know small local ultra marathon. And now it's huge. It sells out within a day and people from all over Canada and the, the States come to it. So lost soul ultra is one of my, just sort of, it has that place in my heart. So I, Two years ago, I did the ultra trail in Cappadocia, Turkey. Um, and that was just an incredible event. Um, they have multiple distances. I did, the, I think, the 65K there. But going through, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the hot air balloons over the sort of hoodoo-shaped mountains um, in Cappadocia, Turkey. But it was just, you were, it was like you were on another planet. I think I remember those from, from your feed. I mean, you, okay, you, yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, honestly, some of the pictures in there are really, I'm just, just beautiful. Um, the colors, um, and also you've been to a lot of great places. So, um, that's, that helps, um, because yes. look, wherever we go, if you're not going to run, like, what are you going there for? I mean, come on, man. What's the best, it's the best place in the, in the way, what's the best way in the world to, to visit any place is to do it on foot. Well, that's the funny thing. A lot of times when we travel and sometimes my friends will come with me and I'll go out for my runs and I'll find things that like I ne we never would have found if I hadn't been out running and going, you know, kind of to some random spots, you know, and then I'm like, oh, my, so I'll come back and be like, we have to go see this. You wouldn't believe what I saw on my run today. Or, you know, when you're traveling and you wake up at, you know, five, six a.m. to go for a morning run and you get to run through like the old gated town of an old village in Greece before all the tourists shows up, show up and it's quiet and you get to see like the locals, you know, starting their day. And it's just, you get a completely different experience. In every way. And those, those different experiences, it just, it just adds such a uh, texture and depth to our experiences. And for me, that's where I get my food recommendations and other things. Like I, <laughs> I want to talk to those people when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm like, exactly. yeah, Hey, what are you doing out here? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just running. Yeah. Where, where did you start? They're like, what? Yeah. Oh yeah. I started there. Well, how are you getting back? I'm like, I'm running back. They're like, what? You know, like you, I'm uh, that's a, like yeah. the same conversation <laughs> yeah. with a lot of people. They just don't get it. But then even places I'm like, one of the things that stands out for me too, this was just on one of my morning runs when I was visiting Sri Lanka, I was running through some villages in the countryside. You know, these people are living in tin shacks that are the size of my dining table. And every morning I'd run by this one house and the husband of the house would climb his coconut tree. Like this is like a 30 foot high coconut tree and get me a fresh coconut and open it for me. And 
one day he was not there and his wife who could speak no English made tea for me. And I'm like, you have nothing. And you're going out of your way to just, you know, help me. And they wouldn't take any money from me or anything like nothing. And it was just all the whole village came out to say hello and wanted to take pictures. And it was just like, where else would you get that if you weren't out, you know, running in a random little village by yourself? That's easily the coolest travel story somebody has shared with me um, <laughs> because it's not about, you know, four seasons and all the great places that I've gotten to stay over my business career because I've traveled so extensively. And um, I worked in the in high-end incentive marketing hotel industry for incentive travel, you know, for top performer trips. And, you know, it just was a, a wonderful 15 years of my life where I just got to play golf with executives all the time. And every time a new, you know, Four Seasons would open up our Ritz, it'd be like, oh, come here because we're getting ready to open. It's like, okay, well, it's just my oh, little I harder. So. I might come. Um, how many people can I bring with me? You know, and it's like, you just go and these people, like they have great jobs. I mean, obviously, but that's so much cooler and has so much more depth to it that, you know, she can't speak the language. Her husband's not there that day and she's making tea for you, something totally different because they're opening up their heart. They're opening up their home to a complete stranger because they've seen you regularly on your run. So to them, they're probably just amazed that you were doing this every day. They have no idea why or how, but they're just like, well, let's be friendly to her. Let's, you know, be hospitable. So you're going to need to work on a travel book. I think you need to write a travel book. So this is, I haven't really spoken a lot about this, but um, I'm going to post that. I, I've, I haven't posted any of the, I have pictures of the family and everything. I wanted to share that on my Instagram soon, but ironically, I, just had a job offer and I'm actually moving to Sri Lanka in August. Oh, wow. This is like kind of coming full circle. So yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. So now you can, you're going to have to bring some kind of really neat gift for them. You have to bring something for them. I can remember exactly where the village was and you know, it's far from where I'm going to be working, but obviously I know exactly where it is and I hope they're still there. I really hope they're still there. How cool would that be if you just knock on their little door of their little house and you just whatever. It could be a tea set. It doesn't it doesn't have to be. It's not Any, about yeah. it's not about the money. No. It's just about being thoughtful. So that would be um that would be super cool. So wow, more adventures, more travel, more yeah. countries. Um I think <laughs> yeah. you're going to have to maybe do a travel vlog as well or just you'll do a travel section. I mean, well, you will mix it all in. It. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Don't man. add more to my plan. Yeah. Well, we have Heather runs trails. I mean, I guess we could do a travel too, but you know, you know, we'll leave we'll leave it for where it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. So tell uh I read about this amazing event that you were part of that you put together in Doha. Um, and I was just, just amazed by reading some detail about it. Then I followed their Instagram page. It was desert roses challenge. Um, but rather than me even try to attempt and butcher explaining like the purpose of it and what it was all about and how many people were involved in all that, just take it away. Tell us about it. Cause it, it's super cool. Okay. So this is something that sort of started coming to fruition, um, in the fall. Um, one of my good friends here in the running community, Stephanie Innes, um, she's helped organize and come up with some great ideas for other events in the past. We did a 90K East to West um, running event um, to promote, again, awareness of women's equality in sport for Born to Run. or born. Sorry, I'm butchering. It's the charity for women. Um, free to run. Free to run. 
Um, so that was taking a lot of a, a handful of women in Doha who had maybe never run before or only, you know, five, 10 Ks and getting to a point where they ran a 90 K run across the East to West of Qatar to promote this, um, initiative. Um, so she's, she's had a lot of great ideas in the past, but so she approached me sometime, I want to say in September and said, I have this idea. <laughs> I'm like, Oh no, here we go. <laughs> so she said, um, since nobody's really traveling now and we have a lot of time on our hands, what do you think about joining me for this run around the you know, perimeter of Qatar, which is about 500 kilometers? And she's like, I, I just wanted to choose you know, a few of the women in our running community here that I know could do it, who I also know I could spend you know, five days on the trail with. <laughs> Um, and that who will also be actively involved in promoting the message that we're trying to send here, which really is in this country to show women that um, they can participate in sports. It's culturally and um, it's just not a big thing for them here. Um, I would say sports in general, they like to watch sports here, but just even working with children here, I noticed that involvement in sports is not a big thing part of their culture here a little bit with soccer soccer is a big or they call it football here but um so really we wanted to show that all of these things are not just for men no you don't need to be intimidated um you can do it I think that's another thing is that a lot of people think they can't do it right um so that was really the message we wanted to promote but so she wanted to get you know some publicity for being able to be the first group of women to go around Qatar on foot. Um, so that's where the idea started. And so we started planning that a few months ago, also knowing that it might get shut down with all the COVID restrictions. Um, we never knew, you know, if is this actually going to happen, which is why we also kept the group small. We knew like the smaller the group we had, the more likely we'd get around any sort of restrictions. Um, and then... We kept it. We didn't publicize it much until the end because we also didn't know if it was going to be able to happen. So, was it two weeks ago now we started? Um, and we also wanted to for it to coincide with the National Sports Day here. So that's every year here in February. There's a national holiday, which with the intent to promote sports activity in the community. So, I would say. They're trying here. You know, the mentality is progressing. Um, they're really trying to get community involvement in different types of sports activities. Um, just general well-being is not something that has been a huge focus here, right? Um, you know, diet, exercise, everything like that, health, from the health perspective, has not been a big focus in this culture in the past. Um, so that's another thing is that it's really about being healthy. It's not about how you look. It's not about, you know having to do a marathon it's just about you know getting active and getting healthy um yeah so that's how it came about and we also had to work out the logistics of it because this was essentially a self-supported event you know a multi-day event was it was going to be 500 kilometers over five days so we're trying to figure out you know how many hours a day do we need to be on the road what pace do we need to keep to fit within this timeline how are we going to get food? How are we? How much are we going to carry on our backs? 
where are we going to sleep? Things like that. So it was really figuring out all the logistics. So we ended up getting some really amazing sponsorship. Um, we had all of our camping gear and main meals and a support crew who were actually some of my friends who own their own uh, businesses here that sponsored us through their company. So that was ID Works and Coffee District in Qatar. They were lifesavers. It was life-changing to, you know, we, every night we would just rock up around 10 o'clock at night and camp would be set up for us and they would hand us food as we crawled into our tent and passed out. But, um, and then in the running community here, we also had a lot of, you know, friends and even people I didn't even know, never met before, um, volunteering to come out for, you know, two hours, four hours, 10 hours during the day, following us with their cars, having food and drinks for us, you know, helping us. Sometimes we had to be on the road. So like making sure that we were safe when we were on some of the major highways, you know, like we had, you know, escorts some of the way. So to see the amount of people that just volunteered their time to come out and watch these four women run slash walk around all of Qatar for days on end was amazing. You know, that's, that's absolutely awesome. Um, what a, it from start, you know, from the idea, you know, when it's kind of hatched and to, to it being fully formed and coming together and then having, you know, different groups come to help support you with food and camping and, you know, logistics and following because, you know, the expression, it takes a village is never more uh, uh, apt for talking about doing any, anything long or difficult or um, extended on trail or people trying to do these fastest known times and run the whole Appalachian trail. You can't do any of these things. I mean, some people actually do completely unsupported and they just have like mad respect. I, like yeah, to be able exactly. to lug and carry every single thing you have and continue to refuel yourself along the way. However, you know, you're making that happen, whether things are stashed along your route, um, you just have all my respect, but, um, you know, you know, you have safety issues. You have so many issues to navigate. I mean, for one thing, you're women, you're out in the middle of the desert. I mean, you know, God, you have to be sure you're going to be okay. And somebody's like watching you all and, you know, you're not going to get snatched in the middle of the night, um, meals, food, I'm sure the temperature, is it, is it a huge drop, you know, from like day to night? Cause obviously I don't know. I haven't been to Doha, so I don't know. Yeah. So that's why we planned it for this time of year too, because any time outside of, I would say, December to February, you might be getting 35, 40 degrees Celsius, sorry. <laughs> That's close to, I think, 100 degrees Fahrenheit during the daytime. Um, and then at night, we had a few nights where it was down to about eight degrees and foggy and damp. Wow. So that was eight Celsius. Sorry, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Um, but we had a couple of days where it was over 35 degrees Celsius in the peak of the day. So we had ups and downs. There was days where the heat did slow us down. Um, and there were nights when it was a bit hard to sleep because it was pretty cold in that tent. So, so you really had to be prepared for tremendous changes, not only in your running conditions, but sleeping and all of that. Um, for anybody, this is like such a amazing thing to take on or tackle, but, um, your, your state of mind is changing all the time. I mean, you're, you're continuing to go back out there and pile miles on, um, give us an idea, like how much were you doing in a day? Like how many, how many kilometers were you trying to tackle in a day? So this was my first multi-day multi-stage event I'd ever done. So I had no idea what I was getting myself into or how my body would even handle it. 
Um, originally, our goal was to do about 100 kilometers a day and finish in five days. And the goal was to, you know, run at least the first 25, 30K every day and walk at a pretty solid pace for the rest of it. And if, you know, by the end of the day, you have a little reserves, jog that out. But from the first day, things started to go wrong and plans had to be completely revised. So I think that was also part of it in the end where, you know, some of the girls felt like we didn't accomplish it anything which we had to reframe is like we didn't accomplish our original plan or our goal but we still achieved something pretty huge so the first day we kept we we got our 100k but one of the girls got really injured um about midday midway through that day and eventually she tried to push through it was our only day one but it got to a point where she said for for the team i need to pull out because the pace that I'm able to keep is going to slow you guys down so much that, you know, this isn't fair to you guys. And that was a really hard decision, right? Sure. It was only day one. Um, so because of that, we, we were, we got a little less sleep the first night than we had planned. I mean, two hours for me, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Ouch. And yeah. So the next day then we're like, okay, well by 80 K on the second day after having a really like, scorcher of a day people are starting to you know start their hips are starting to go their shin splints are starting to kick in we stopped at 80k that day just thinking like we'll make it up tomorrow and it kind of spiraled downhill from there because the injuries started increasing for sure some of the girls and it was surprising because these were all really really strong athletes really strong ultra runners you know they'd been run they'd some of them have run like what was it? Nine hour, 90 Ks within the last couple months. So they're, these are good athletes. So it was surprising. And I think just a bit unlucky that I would say all but me surprisingly, cause I would say I was the weakest link of the group started getting pretty serious injuries popping up quite early on, which in the end, I think that was one of the major reasons where we changed our plan. We revised our plan completely towards day four. So originally we planned a 500 K loop trying to stick to as close as the coastlines as we feasibly could. Um, and by the end we said, you know what, we're going to have to add an extra day to the five days already just because we've had to cut down like our daily mileage because of injuries. And they just said, I don't think we're going to make the 500 can we make sure we make a 400 K loop? You know, is this a decision we can make as a team? Cause the discussion was, do we try the 500 and fail or do we still complete a loop? Even if it's a bit shorter, right? So these are all things we're trying to discuss on the road as we go. So we kind of said, let's try to at least finish a loop, even if it's a little bit of a shorter loop. Um, by the last day, day six, it got to a point. So I should, I should say one of the days I didn't participate because I had to go to work. I got called into work, which I knew was going to be a possibility and there was nothing I could do about that. So I missed day four, I think day three or four, day four. And so day six, the last day, um, we started in the morning. We'd just, you know, woken up from that, you know, eight degree at night camping in the middle of the desert. Um, plan to get going 
on the road by 5.30. It didn't happen. It was dark and cold and foggy. Got on the road by maybe about 6.30 in the morning. And within about two kilometers, the two girls who had still been on the road for the whole um, distance at that point said, I don't think it's safe for us now to push ourselves any further. Um, they were having, you know, intestinal problems that we had actually had a, a doctor friend come out and check and said, I would highly recommend not continuing on, although they still wanted to, you know, serious, serious shin splint issues, foot issues. There was things that were like, how much permanent damage are they going to be doing if they keep pushing forward? So, at about 5K on the last day, we all said, what do we do? I think at that point, the, the girls could only keep up about a three kilometer an hour pace. That's how much pain they were in. And we said, okay, we, we started as a team. We want to finish as a team. How do we do this? We know we haven't achieved the original plan that we set out. So at that point, I said, you know what? Do we just say we keep someone on the road? the whole time for this last day to make sure that, you know, we just get back to Doha to the city where we plan to finish. And at that point, that was the best decision for the team. And I was the only one on the last day that was able to finish that day. And, you know, the others joined for parts of it. We all finished together at the end. We all said, we're doing this as a team. We're going to finish it together. And we must have had about 50 people, supporters, people in the community, maybe more than 50 come out and, you know, run, walk the last, I would say about 15 kilometers with us. They had set up, we didn't realize, you know, a big finish line right in the harbor in the city center for us to finish with flowers and, you know, plaques. And it was just incredible. Cause I'm like, in our minds, we're like, we failed, but we still had all these people saying like, what you did was so amazing, you know? So that was almost one of those things where as athletes and ultra runners, you know, they were thinking, they were saying, we, we did it so slow. We didn't do the full distance. We're normally like so much faster, like on paper for us, when we look at it, it's like, this is not a big deal. And then it's almost like you have to give your head a shake and say like, you know what, you just traveled 400 kilometers around Qatar in less than a week. Um, on foot. In, on foot. Yeah. Not in a, <laughs> completely on Sleeping foot. Sleeping in tents in crazy yeah. weather extremes with yeah. no crowds or no people to cheer. I mean, sure. At the end and, you know, a pseudo finish line that was put together, but yeah, it's perspective. Don't dare for a moment allow yourself or your teammates or comrades in arms to to think that way although i understand if i was part of that group and i had planned in my head that i was going to do 500k or four, whatever the number is that's the way we're wired we don't take on a huge challenge and think okay well I'll, if i do a little less than what i said i'll be really excited it's just not <laughs> it's not the way we are and with runners in particular, it's the reason why we usually are can be really successful in life and business in our careers because we're driven, man. We don't we don't drive for goals and then say, oh, I don't, I'll be happy. To, I just did sixty percent. That's good enough for me. No, it's not good enough for. And it does it has nothing to do with how fast you run. It has zero to do with that. It has to do with people that are goal driven and running just clicks with us with ultra trail community people. We want to see how far we can go. How far we can go is one of the single biggest things we always want to 
prove to ourselves. And that has nothing to do with pace. And how far you can go can be walking, it can be running, it can be limping, it can be whatever, but you're moving and you're continuing to get further down the road. So, I mean, what a what an adventure. What an, what an amazing adventure. And I think some of the coolest things about it when you think back and why did we really do this to begin with was the message we were trying to send, right? And so to be out on the road in the middle of the desert and have a, you know, there's a few construction workers standing at the side and they stopped and they watched. And one of them says, are you the desert roses? We saw you in, in the, you know, newspaper, we heard you on the radio and we're so like, so excited to see you and to have locals that live in the small villages come out and were handing us like food and inviting us into their homes. And we're almost offended when we said we, we, couldn't stay at sleep at their home that night because we had to make up some more <laughs> mileage. But to for people to have heard about the event and went out of their way to find us or when they saw us, they're like, they couldn't believe what we were doing. And then they, you know, they were recording it and sending it to all their friends and being like, guess who I just saw out in the desert. And and then afterwards, even I got a few messages from, you know, the parents of some of this, the children that I worked with saying, you know, we're so proud of you. We're so glad you showed this message for women and girls here to show what they can actually do. And, you know, these are local um, Qatari women that, you know, tr this, this is a population that we really wanted to show. Like, you can get out there. You can be part of a sports community. You can get active. You know, it's not just for the men. So that was when you think about it. And, like, we still got our message across. And that was the ultimate goal of the whole event, right? You, you absolutely got your message across. I mean, it's about empowerment and it's about when sports aren't at a grassroot level for kids or girls or a faith group, a, a religion, whatever you know group of society that's cut off and isn't open and doesn't feel welcome and isn't being encouraged and maybe doesn't have anyone that looks like them where they say, oh, he did that. He looks like me. She did that. She looks like me. Like, this is somebody I can look up to. I want to emulate this behavior, this person. I want to be like her. I want to be like him. So it has nothing to do with how fast you were all running or the fact that you had to revise your goal. I mean, life, ultra marathons are ultra marathons. There's nothing in the world. You want to <laughs> learn about problem solving? Go run an ultra marathon. I don't yeah. care if it's 50K. 50 miles, 100K, 100 miles, 250 miles, a stage race, you you will find out quickly in life how good you are at problem solving because no plan will ever actually happen the way you think it is when you start up, whether the race is starting in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and you got headlamps and hand lights or the temperature drops, whatever, your fuel, your salt levels, cramping, tripping, like 100,000 things can happen to you, but so many of them teach us the most incredibly powerful lesson. So yes, you didn't get your goal that you all mapped out on paper, but you did something insanely cool. Um, you just showed people like, hey, you're, you're saying to young girls out there um, that may, are not involved in sports at all or don't have anybody to see, you know, they're going to see that on, in the newspaper, on TV. And it, it takes one girl, two girls, three girls to say like, mom, I want to run. Um, you know, they or mom obviously didn't run because women in sports don't really exist there. It certainly hasn't existed in past versions in the past, of culture. Historically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's how change comes 
about. And it doesn't have to come about quickly. It doesn't have to come about at you know crazy pace. It can be even glacial maybe, but the fact is you did something awesome. So you should all feel really good about yourself. <laughs> it's inspiring as hell, man. It's It's awesome. So great job. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I hope your teammates, you know, feel that way or, or maybe if they don't write at this moment, I hope they will as some time goes on because time gives us perspective and, um, you know, look, we can't, we can only do so much when we're really injured or we're having true intestinal problems. Like there's only so much you can do. There's things you can manage and work through and there's things you can't, you know, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you had to go to work one day. I mean, I'm sure that's the last thing on earth that you would want to do, but you know, it happened. And, uh, it's great that you were able to come back strong the last day and then give that contribution to the team to help the team. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I, I'm like, okay, I feel like I let you guys down a little bit, but I redeemed that. And I think also finishing as a team, even though one of the girls actually had to hobble the last 300 meters with her walking poles as crutches, but it was like, it doesn't matter. We're finishing this together regardless of what happens. So, well, that's, I think it's fantastic and you should all be proud of yourselves. And I have no doubt everybody who listens to this episode is going to be like, wow, they're a bunch of badasses. <laughs> Not only are they running in the desert, like even just running, period. They ran around all of Qatar. Like that's just completely <laughs> nuts. Um, you're going to have to send me like links from, you know, everybody who helped you, you know, from the organi organizing side, who your teammates were, their Instagram handles, all of that. If you, anybody wrote any articles or anything that I can link to um, for the page, this way, anybody who listens to the pod um, and it'll be up on YouTube as well, but um, links are, an easy way for people to get that exposure and just see, you know, see what you all did because it's awesome, man. It's good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> so what do you, do you have anything? Um, I know you've got to be straight up recovering right now and focusing and you got a long-term plan to get to Sri Lanka. What's, um, what's something big before we roll out of here, or maybe even something you've been thinking about that maybe you want to take on. It doesn't have to be even running related, just something you're thinking about here before we, before we roll out. Well, I'll be honest, I haven't planned a lot with all the COVID stuff because I feel like every time you plan something, something it gets canceled, right? But this event actually showed me that I kind of want to try more like multi-stage events. Um, so I'm hoping there's a big one in Sri Lanka in the spring that I'm hoping will still be happening when I move there. So that's a very, that's still probably a year away, but yeah. In the meantime, I'm just going to enjoy my last few months in Qatar and hopefully get back to Canada to see my family in between. And yeah, that's about it. That sounds really great. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check into some of the the stage races. I think um, I, to me, they're that that's like a travel adventure and a race all rolled yes. into one. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, you have I'm sure you have days where you're feeling like the king and high as high as a kite. And other days, you're like, "What am I doing here? Get me the hell out of here!" Um, but you know, at some point, like we all do, the second wind, whatever the third wind, who knows how many winds of, on these multi-day things, the distances people are running and they're doing. It's just it's. It's inspiring. Is I use the word a lot, but it just is. When I see some of the things that people are doing and how far they're covering, like you all did, I don't care about pay. I couldn't care less if you walked 500k. It's just it's mind-boggling. You know the distances that people are covering and and these challenges, and then also the the terrain that they're on. You know, like you're all in the desert, and other people are in the mountains at crazy altitudes and elevations. So it's it's just super uh, super cool stuff. 
I think it was just fascinating to see how your body responds. Like the morning of day two was probably the hardest because that was the first time I'd woken up after doing 100K and, hey, I'm supposed to do it again today. But by the third morning, I was like, your body is almost used to it. And it's your routine. I'd only had a few hours of sleep, but I'm just going to get up and throw my running stuff on and I smell awful and I'm covered in sand, but I'm just going to do it again today. And it, so it almost just became that routine after that. So it was really interesting to see how that played out. And isn't that a great lesson to just kind of plant that seed with everybody before we roll out of here? Like our norms and our levels that we work our way up to when we build our way up to, so many times we think, oh, I could never run further than that. I could never, you know, go a distance like that. My body couldn't hold up. I couldn't hold up. But I think what we all learn, and I know I've learned and I'm learning still just at 60 that, you know, that's why I love David Goggins so much because I think <laughs> the mindset piece of it is so important yeah. because our bodies will crack. Our brain will start telling us in every way that it can to stop. It will create ways to stop. Like if you're somewhere where a porta john's there, you're like, oh, I, I need to go to the bathroom. You don't need to go to the bathroom. It's just like, oh, no. I'll stop and go to the bathroom. And the next thing you know, you're like, you might not want to get back up off of the bat, the toilet. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I'm out of here. But the funny thing is, if that wasn't there, your brain doesn't have that chance to like throw that little yes. suggestion at you. And it's not a little suggestion either, man. It's like, come over here right now. Yes. You know, don't yeah. keep running. We you don't need to do this, but you just can't believe like how much further you can take that threshold out. And so you're running 60 plus miles a day or like getting up. That was the longest you'd run. And then you're doing that a day and then the next day and the next day. And it doesn't seem possible. It just doesn't, yeah. but you did. Cause it. I can, <laughs> and I still remember back to the time where I thought, I don't know if I can finish this 10 K, you know? Yes. So, yeah. And that, look, that, those are great, uh, great lessons and uh, experiences to share because we all started somewhere. And for some of us, it was to run a whole block, you know, or to run to the park, which might have been, you know, three or four blocks from where our houses were, where we grew up. In your case, you grew up in the mountains. We run to a distance. That's why I always love fart. Like, you know, you run telephone poles, <laughs> or you run to the next tree. <laughs> like, um, like, there's always some, you know, landmark that we're trying to get to. And the amazing thing is that landmark has become from, you know, a block or blocks or miles to, like you said, finishing a 10K seemed to, you said in the beginning of the episode, you said you'd run 5K and walk 5K. Yeah, that and, was my goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was a good goal. It was a good goal yeah. then. And for anybody listening right now, this isn't like to make you feel like, wow, I'm not an ultra runner. No, it's the opposite. It's just showing you that you could start all the way back at that level and actually make it to where Heather's at right now, or any other of my guests who've been on, I've had Mike Wardian and some other ultra runners on who've just done some pretty amazing things. And, you know, yeah, it's amazing what we actually are capable of when we put, try to push our mind off to the side and just say, let me just go on free flow state and let's see what happens, you know, exactly. and, and take it from there. But, um, it's been awesome getting to know you a little on the show. It's Thank been super <laughs> fun. And thanks for waking up so early and, and sharing, no your, sharing your awesome, uh, you know, community event there, which is just crazy. Thank and also you. just your life history, running history, travel adventures. It's all <laughs> super exciting stuff. So everybody give 
Heather runs Trails of Follow. Heather runs underscore Trails of Follow on IG. Um, definitely check out our episode. And, you know, appreciate you coming on and all the best with uh, Thank everything you. you got going on over there and, and, and getting home to see your family in Canada and uh, getting over to Sri Lanka. So hope it all goes smoothly yeah. and well. Thank you. And uh, it's been fun chatting with you. So as we always say when we sign off, peace out, everybody. And always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, that was so much fun getting to know Heather. I just... It really resonates with me, that love and passion for travel, adventure, wanderlust. She's so intrepid um, at 55 countries and counting. Everywhere she goes, seeing these new cultures and communities and learning about the architecture and the people by just putting herself out there, lacing up her shoes, and just being open to those experiences. So kudos, kudos to Heather for sharing that. I mean, how exciting was it to hear about that Desert Roses adventure um, where sports, youth, uh, girls and youth in sport, it really doesn't exist at this point at the grassroots level in Qatar. So for them to go out there with that, that very specific initiative agenda um, to try to inspire young girls and women to get active in sport, in any sport in particular in Qatar, and of course, um, ultra running, showing um, showing young girls and women uh, what they could do collectively, taking on such an incredibly challenging adventure, working together as a team and problem solving through it all. It's just super, super inspiring stuff. So well done, um, Heather. Um, I know how inspired I was listening to your story. I hope it will have the same effect on all of you who are listening. So if you could all continue to share on Instagram stories, on Facebook, um, these podcasts, it's the only way for us to um, get more people listening to the Run Chats pod and get more people subscribed to the show, which is really what we need. Um, it helps us get more guests like Heather that are awesome. And it helps uh, expose us to more interesting people. And that's a goal for all of us in times in COVID times where it's been so uh, challenging and dark at times um, to hear people that are making a difference and an impact in the community. It's just super important to me. And I want to try to share more stories like Heather's of people who are doing something unique, um, whether it's raising money or raising awareness for important causes. So that's my goal to all of you. And it's been very tough for me of late with my injury, just kind of hobbling around, uh, just hitting schedules and being able to maintain everything. So I'm going to do my best to get back to a more regular schedule of more guests getting on the show and sharing their inspiring stories. So I thank you all for sticking with me. It means a lot. It means everything, in fact. So thank you all um, from, from me. Although I can't keep lacing them up right now, I know you all can. So please do keep lacing them up. Keep getting out that door and always remember to stay in the fight. Love you all, and I will talk with you soon.